Welcome to another episode of the Faith Work Rest podcast. Our mission is to help people discern their vocations and reimagine their occupation for the good of their neighbor and the glory of God. We're part of the Surge Network. It's a network of local churches united to put Jesus on display in their community. You can learn more at surgenetwork.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Faith, Work, and Rest podcast. This is Lauren Kutzko. I'm here with Danae Pierre and Jim Mullins. And uh, last week, we got to hear a great interview with David Beldman on Old Testament theology. Uh, he gave us some great insights on work and rest. And this week, actually, we're going to be uh, hearing some more from him during another conversation that he and Jim had about how working on his motorcycle could be a, a form of rest. And so he's got some great stuff to share with, with us there. Just a reminder before we get going, uh, this Faith Work Rest initiative as part of the Surge Network is a new initiative that we're kicking off. Um, we've got this podcast for you where we're giving you access to thought leaders and practitioners who are out there thinking about and living out the work that God has called us to do. Also, we're offering one-on-one coaching for anybody that wants to meet with Jim and I to talk about what's going on in their work and how to see and experience, reimagine, and discern their work as a way to glorify God and serve their neighbor every day. You can find out more about that at faithworkrest.com. And so before we get in, we're going to do our Faith Work Rest show and tell. Jim, what do you have for us uh, this week? So I get to start out again? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, what I have is writing by hand instead of writing, typing on a computer. Um, nice. Tell us. So yeah, I read a couple articles that led to a study that was called The Pen is Mightier Than the Keyboard, Advantages of Longhand Over Laptop Note Taking. And it was basically talking about the importance of engaging different cognitive processes in learning and taking notes in memory, since writing by hand actually plays a significant role in helping us remember and engages different cognitive processes. Uh, yeah. Sure. Uh, I've been writing everything by hand, uh, my journal, my notes, even my daily tasks. And I've noticed that there is a greater degree of recall that comes from writing by hand. And there was a, a term that stood out to me that a psychologist in this study, Robert Bjork, sort of coined. It's called desirable difficulty. And basically, writing by hand makes it just a little bit more difficult that that level of challenge engages you more in the content that you're wrestling with. Interesting. Yeah. So I encourage to pick up a pen or a pencil. There you go. What about you, Danae? Anything to share with the audience? Um, I was thinking about Google Inbox lately and how that's helped me go to a zero inbox policy. Mm. I can't remember. I think that's the phrase. Is that when you have no emails at the end of every day? I think so, I don't yeah. Know. It's zero. like See, the a way I thing do, I Inbox zero. The way I do inbox zero, yeah. a zero inbox, inbox zero <laughs> is just <laughs> look at it zero looking times at it zero a day. Times. Zero times a day. <laughs> I believe that, Jim. <laughs> You've gotten better, though. That's right. Um, because I've been reimagining email. <laughs> right. It's not you existing. You can contact Jim at <laughs> Jim at redemptionchurchtempe.com. Right. <laughs> you weren't even I don't, close. I don't even know. So. <laughs> no, but there was a time that I had 2,000 emails in my inbox, and I was getting 60 or 70 a day. Google Inbox and my dear friend Lori Kinman have helped me create some disciplines where in under 20 minutes a day, I generally am able to get through all my email. What impact does having 2,000 emails in your inbox have on your personal Sabbath? Well, I think it impacts my work more than my Sabbath, because hmm. I would just begin to avoid my inbox altogether and get, you know. Okay, just, interesting. So you, just, so you feel like it maybe it impacts it's your productivity. Helped, yeah, it's impacted my productivity. For me, I, I would I, just shut down and be like, forget email. And when I've got all these things yeah. in my inbox, I'm, I, it's like I can't 
rest because I'm worried I'm missing something important. I'm like not getting something done. Yeah, so that's that for me, like getting rid of it, the, the snooze button on inbox like helps me not think about it until I need to. Yeah. That's how I got 2,000 emails in my inbox. So I'm pretty good at, <laughs> ignoring, I'm pretty good at ignoring things. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, that's great. For me, uh, this week, I was thinking about, I, I find rest outside. Um, I think I've said that before, but it's it's not always easy to find a great way to, to get outside in a way that has just the right amount of friction. So I, I'd say like the least friction way is to go for a walk, um, but that's not always engaging enough for some of my senses. And so I like to be a you know, do something a little bit more challenging. But a lot of times a drive to a trailhead to go on a hike, which would be more challenging, is almost like too much of a barrier. So I just skip it, higher priorities or more urgent. So I started biking a year or so ago and have found that that helps, is, it creates a really good rhythm for me because I can do it right out of my front door. I don't have to drive anywhere. I can get outside for an hour every morning. And so that's been really good when my bike got stolen. And so my, you know, shout out or show and tell this week was just to the getting a new bike from the REI in Tempe. I love REI. Helps me get outside. But the guy there was so helpful. I told him what I wanted and he uh, just really helped me find the perfect bike. And it's been really good replacement for the one that was stolen. So that's uh, that's mine. That's that's incredible. Our bikes got stolen this week. It's last week. Starting Bummer. Yeah. The joys of living in downtown Phoenix. And, uh, uh, insecurity happens anywhere tonight. That is true, but it seems like we have a lot of stolen bikes. <laughs> I should let you know that I've come into some new bikes lately. I, I'm not going to explain how I got them, but uh, I really enjoy them. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's uh, let's listen again. We're going to listen to Dave Beldman. This is our second week in a row listening to him. He is an associate professor at Redeemer University College. He teaches Old Testament. He teaches New Testament. He really knows and loves the Word, but... This week, we're not talking to him about theology. We're talking to him about motorcycles, and in particular, how restoring motorcycles has become an integral part of his rest and enjoyment of God's world. So let's listen in. All right, well, we are back with Dave Beldman. We interviewed him in the last podcast, and we got into a lot of rich stuff about the Old Testament and how it can shape our view of the world. It can shape us into people who live uniquely within God's world. And uh, today, we want to continue in our conversation with him, but we want to move on to something different. We want to move on to motorcycles, because what we did not mention last time is that uh, when Dave isn't teaching, he is uh, working on motorcycles, enjoying motorcycles, riding motorcycles. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Tell us about what you do when uh, you get an opportunity to put your hands onto a motorcycle. I've loved motorcycles for a long time. Probably, you know, when I was a kid, you know, seeing a motorcycle go by. Don't don't all boys love motorcycles? I think most boys do. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly did. That has stuck with me in my teens. I, I just loved motorcycles thought about them and never rode one uh, my parents actually forbid me forbade me from uh getting a motorcycle and riding a motorcycle and and i i have to confess when i was 17 i put a down payment on a on a motorcycle which i i ended up backing out of um behind their back and i, I was still living home at, at home at that time so anyways i had a talk with my dad after that and um he convinced me to buy a truck so that i could be an electrician which was the better route but uh for 20 years, I, I never stopped liking motorcycles, but it kind of went dormant a little bit. And uh, when I lived in in England, I had the chance to buy a, um, a mid 80s East German made uh, two stroke motorcycle, which um, I I did get running, but never did get on the road. Hmm. That was my first first motorcycle. In the last few years, I, I have my a motorcycle now that I ride 
And I also have another one that I am working on restoring. So that is, I think, what you're referring to there. Yeah. So, What does it look like to restore a motorcycle? Well, if you're like me and on a budget, what it usually means is finding some donor bike that, that you pick up for a very little amount of money that is probably sitting in somebody's barn or on the back of their property, and there's lots of rust and missing parts and torn seats and maybe a seized engine, who knows. If you want to do it right, taking it right down to the frame. So what I did with the, the motorcycle that I have, which is a, a 40-year-old Japanese motorcycle, Honda, uh, I took it um, right apart, took every, pretty much every piece off of it, took the engine out of the frame and started right right back down to the basics. Mm. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, and restoring it. Yeah. So restoring it means, you know, taking broken pieces, getting new ones, rebuilding um, older pieces, taking off paint, sandblasting, repainting, putting it back together. Now, there, there are different kind of schools in motorcycle restoration. So there's kind of like the old school who feels like a motorcycle restoration is not a motorcycle restoration unless you bring it back like it's just come off the factory line, replacing parts with only part that, you know, were original to that bike. And I appreciate that. It's not really what I'm interested in doing, though. So this motorcycle that I'm restoring, it's not just a, a restoration. It's also a, um, customizing and, and modifying in a certain way. And even with the modifications, there are different schools. So you have people who like to do choppers, if you know what a chopper is. So really lengthening out the, the forks and putting big handlebars on them and kind of leaning back. Also not my thing. Mm -hmm. um, although again, I appreciate, I, I appreciate all sorts of different kinds of motorcycles. Mm -hmm. but, so. You only get so many minutes in your life. And I think like a lot of people, uh, we have these things that we delight in, like motorcycles or sports or, or whatnot. What warrants us spending our time doing things like that? I mean, you could teach another class. You could read some more books. You could, you could do any number of things. Why before the face of God is it a good thing to work on motorcycles? That is a really good and penetrating question. <laughs> um, and I, I do think it touches on or it's niggling at uh, possible idolatries, which maybe we can talk about. I, I think for me, e even in terms of your podcast, for me, working on a motorcycle is a kind of Sabbath mm. uh, for me. Uh, as a professor, I'm in my head a lot. I'm in books a lot or else I'm, I'm teaching these things. And, and so you know, the the left brain, right brain thing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like uh, there there is something I miss about being an electrician. I, I don't particularly want to go back and be an electrician, but there there is something about building something with my hands that I miss about that. Um, I, I like to work with my hands. I, I like problem solving, which I, I do feel like is one of these um, um, transferable skills that I brought from being an electrician into mm. the world of the academy. But yeah, for me, working on motorcycles, so the first part of the answer is it is a way for me to work with my hands and get out of my head. So so that's um, one aspect of it. And there, yes, this whole motorcycle thing, the academic in me wants to have all of these things clear in my head and they're not yet. So I, mm. I might ramble a bit. But, but there is more to it than just what is called wrenching or doing repairs or, or restoration, working with the tools. There's also riding. And there's also the whole community that is built around motorcycles, which is 
to me, like it blew me away when I started writing a few years ago. It continues to to blow me away. The the community. It's a, it's a different. Um, it is a kind of subculture of our our culture. Maybe less so than it used to be. It's a different kind of people, and and that that is good. I mean, personally for me to get out of you know the the nice kind of bow ties and sweater vests into a, a very different world. I. I Again, maybe something I miss a little bit about being in construction is, is a different demographic of people. So there's a there's a community aspect of it. So why your original question? See, I'm rambling. Why indulge in in motorcycle building? So the one aspect is working with my hand Sabbath. I, I do think the community is a is a wonderful thing, and the the riding I think is a is an experience as well, which is not always communal. So it's interesting that Sabbath tends to come with this vision of ceasing to do work. But in a sense, you are doing a type of work. But it seems like it's appropriate in the 21st century to, to do something like that. You know, they were ceasing from working with their hands. You are engaging one day a week uh, working with your hands. But if someone were to say, I thought we weren't supposed to do anything work-like on a Sabbath, what would you say to that? Look at what Jesus does on the Sabbaths. He heals people. He makes mm-hmm. people whole. You know, they pluck heads of grain because they, they need something to eat. Would they have gone fishing? I, I think they, they probably would if they needed something to eat. I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. Um, yeah. My, my hunch is that that's very honoring to God, what you're doing. Hmm. And I think it has something to do with the fact that we live in such a knowledge work driven society where, uh, we are, in many ways, disembodied throughout most of our work. All you really need is a head and some hands attached to that head that can type uh, for a lot of our jobs. And it seems like there's some appropriate level of resting from that sort of thing and engaging in what used to be work for all of society and all of history, but for us is absent most of the week. And it puts to use the aspects of our body that God has given us that are otherwise ignored. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's absolutely right. I, I think it gets at the essence of what Sabbath is, right? And so we have to contextualize that for our our world. So you know, something like gardening, which uh, I suppose traditionally would be seen as as a act of work, would contribute to the sense of of Sabbath um, mm-hmm. for for somebody who, as you said, uh, is is working from their head or or whatever. Yeah, I know I've said this uh, before, but it always strikes me as interesting that when you step into a gym and you look around, if you look close enough, what you see is the imitating of what once was work for all of history. Mm-hmm. So you mm-hmm. don't have a boat, so you go to the row machine. You have nothing to climb, so you go to the stair machine. You have <laughs> nothing to carry, so you go do deadlifts. Um, <laughs> and 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 I'm not. That's not a critique of gyms, because in some ways I think it's pushing back against the effects of the fall and keeping us healthy. But there does seem to be something human about engaging the parts of our mind, our whole mind, and our whole body uh, that God has given. Let me ask you this. What would you say about how is God's glory displayed through a motorcycle? How can we see something about God by looking closely at a motorcycle? Again, I, I think this it's a it's a multifaceted thing. So I, I think just in terms of the motorcycle itself, I, I think what you would see is intricacy, ingenuity. I mean, uh, this is um, 
you know, the internal combustion chamber, what, when was that, you know, turn of the last century when, I mean, maybe a little bit before, but it's not that old. And then to, to put that into a motorcycle, like I have a, the, the, the motorcycle that I ride right now is a, is a 400 cylinder. Um, and there are four of them. So it's a four cylinder, um, 400 cc's, which is like, I don't know, like a, a pill bottle size. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things are going up and down. And I mean, it just, it's incredible. And, and the, it's, it's carbureted. So the mixture of gas and air and uh, carburetors, which I'm still trying to figure out, you know, has to be just right or that thing is not going to run. Mm. And, um, you know, so I, I have to admit, I, I am a bit of a, a vintage motorcycle junkie. So mm. I, I really do like the older machines. And really, my the two motorcycles that I have are, are 40 years old. So not even that old, but just the simplicity. Yeah, like I said, the intricacy, the ingenuity, um, the beauty. I, I just, I, I really feel like a, a vintage motorcycle, the beauty is, is something to behold. And I, I think, you know, our God is, is a creative being. I, I, th- I think the discovery and design and um, improvement of the building of, of motorcycles, I, th- I think, gives some pleasure. I think it's, it's the kind of thing that, that he did at creation and, and loves to see us doing in this mm-hmm. world. So why do you think God didn't leave us a few motorcycles in the creation? That it wasn't, we, Adam and Eve stepped into the world, they had motorcycles, pancakes, maple syrup, a fully made world with all this stuff to delight in. I think this is uh, God's task for the humans was to um, now take this world and make something of it. Discover those potentials like the Brazilian scorpion kick. That was the previous uh, podcast. But the, the, the motorcycle, the hummus, these things are, are, are sort of in seed form in the creation. And uh, he delights when we discover them. That's that's what we're I mean, the, the creation that he made there in Genesis one is a place full of hidden mysteries that we just need to pull out and um and develop and 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 enjoy i don't know that's the kind of god i i i'd love to serve i I, i'd love to think about and that that would create a, a world like that absolutely absolutely let me ask you this if if you had to choose one motorcycle to prove the existence of God. Not that you could prove it, but if you had, if one motorcycle was going to be your apologetic to say, see God exists, which motorcycle would it be? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Um, <laughs> I knew I was going to get to at least one question where it was like, oh, man, come on, give me a break. <laughs> you know, I, I was I was waiting for the, you know, what would Jesus ride? Um, oh, that was coming. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Well, I mean, I would think that uh, it would be the same bike. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you really do need to uh, have a look at, you know, if your listeners Google some of these early motorcycles. I mean, they they really are just incredible. At the turn of the 1900s, these, um, these machines that are, are beautiful to look at, but I, I don't know an answer to your question. All what right. would be the motorcycle? All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a newbie in that way. I mean, when I was a teenager, I, I loved sport bikes. Yeah. I, I sort of hesitate to maybe uh, call them crotch rockets, which they are affectionately known as. But um, that, that was what I, I just loved. I mean, and I, I don't really care for them at all now. So I mm. guess I'm, yep, I'm about in my 40s. So, yeah, I, I am a bit of a newbie. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, if working on motorcycles and riding motorcycles, if a motorcycle has been your teacher about how to live in God's world, what has it taught you? I, I really do think uh, we haven't really touched at all about the the kind of community 
that exists around motorcycles. I've just been amazed and blown away. Now, social media has done a lot. Um, I have I started a, a page that's local to the city that I I live in, and it's really mostly for guys people who ride, but who also uh, like to repair their own motorcycles and maybe do some um, building in their garage in the winter or, or whatever it is. Um, and I have found um, the kinds of people that I've come across, and I, I know it's a it's a very uh, wide um, array of people, but the, the people I've come in contact are some of the most loyal some of the most generous, um, self-sacrificial people that I've, that I've ever met. You, you are, if you ride two wheels, you are um, automatically initiated into a community. Mm. Uh, if, if you break down on the side of the road, so, so the, the symbol is you put your helmet behind your uh, motorcycle, like 10 or 15 feet, the, the first motorcycle is going by will stop. I, I almost guarantee you. Wow. Um, that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, community as they they look out um, for each other. Um, and and the other thing too, which is is just fascinating. I mean, you you think of um, motorcyclists as you know big beards, tattoos, beer bellies, um, these sorts of things, which you do get a lot. Um, but uh, also, um, you know, a lot of um, a lot of motorcyclists are uh, will do charity rides, like a lot of charity rides have to do uh with well a, a lot of a lot of um fundraising are, are charity rides um i was blown away this uh i was on this social media this facebook group and um there was a call out uh because a girl was getting bullied at school hmm. and this was a this was a motorcycling group so there was just a call hey um a few of us are going to go uh, pick her up from school and uh, she's going to ride on the back of the motorcycle. We're going to ride her home. It was somebody's niece or or whatever. And uh, it'd be good if a few people would show up and it, just to kind of say to the bullies, hey, we got her back. Like it wasn't going to be confrontational, but just, you know, a symbolic hmm. riding home of, of this girl who had who'd been having a tough, um, tough time at school. And uh, they were showing video footage of hundreds of motorcycles that were parked outside of the school. And this was within like a couple of days. Hmm. You know, they just said. Thursday afternoon, we're going, and um, that that is the kind of uh, community. They're, they're there if somebody needs help. Um, it, it, that has really uh, blown me away, and just some of the conversations as well that I that I've had about life. One of the most popular books in philosophy is Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, hmm. and it's about this guy who goes on a journey with his son. And um, narrates this story, but it's 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 about um, it's about life, the deep questions of life, why we're here. And uh, I had a, somebody I, I was listening to this podcast actually about um, the fact that motorcyclists are in their head a lot. If you go for a ride, you're you're in your helmet. So yeah. what do you do? You have to think. Yeah. So I, I yeah, there, there is this interesting, interesting dynamic that, as an academic, I, I love to think about and yeah, I'm all over a bit. That's great. That's great. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I had a short stint, very short, where as a kid I was able to ride on my grandpa's motorcycle on the back uh-huh. of his motorcycle. We decided to go on a trip from Phoenix to Las Vegas. Yeah. And a couple of things stood out to me. One was that, that community. Um, I kept asking him why everybody keeps waving at him and mm. keeps talking to him whenever we would park. And he would just explain that it's a part of the community. And so I was really intrigued by it. There was one problem that I had uh, was that for some reason I have some strange form of narcolepsy to where whenever I'm on the back of a motorcycle, 
I start falling asleep. So <laughs> yeah, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. So that trip to Las Vegas from Phoenix to Las Vegas should take like five hours. It ended up taking like 12 because we had to just constantly pull over so I could do jumping jacks on the side of the road. <laughs> you know, I was amped up with caffeine. But as, as a guy who was able to stand at the outside of that subculture a little bit, there were some things that I really admired. You've talked about the positive aspects, the good creational aspects that are part of that subculture. Are there any other stories, maybe idolatrous stories, that contribute to that subculture at all? Sure. Um, it, it's hard to know where to start with this one. I mean, there. Um, it, it depends on the um, the subculture. It's more like subcultures. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, there, there is, of course, like the outlaw aspects of it. Um, you know, the. Do you find that that's um, overblown? Well, um, I, I don't, it depends where you are. Right. I don't know what it's like in, in Phoenix. I mean, there, um, I, I'm sure there, it does exist. Even in my city, I, I know there are some outlaw gangs and, uh, you know, one thing, uh, which is just bizarre to me, but just, you know, how you wear your patches and what kind of patches you wear, like on your, um, you know, vest or, or jacket, like there, there are sort of, there's an etiquette there, which I, I'm not sure if it's written down, but you, you do have to kind of watch what you do with where you put things. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that, that it does exist. There's no question. And it'll be in Phoenix and it's in my town. And um, I haven't encountered it. I don't know what it's like. You know, it's, I, I think a motorcycle is a dangerous vehicle to operate. I think more so now probably than ever because there's more traffic and a lot more distracted traffic. Like, uh, I, I, when I was in Phoenix last, uh, I heard that you guys don't have distracted driving um, laws, so people can use their phones and text and do whatever they want while they drive, which is insane. But maybe that's the Canadian in me speaking. But or it might have just been a driver who doesn't know the rules and was uh, thinking that they could do those things. Oh, is there laws in? Well, in no, somewhat. Uh, it okay. depends on where you are, and you can talk on the phone, but you can't text and those sorts of things. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that that is um, really crazy. I mean, we've all seen people who you're thinking, what are they doing? Why are they driving so slow? Or why aren't they going? Why are they weaving around? And you pull up and they're they're texting or whatever. So when you're on a motorcycle, there's the the margin for error is is a lot less. This this is another thing um, about about riding a motorcycle is attentiveness. Now this doesn't answer your question mm-hmm. about idolatries, but uh, attentiveness. So um, most motorcycles you're doing things with your hands, either shifting with your, your left hand or, or, or breaking with your right hand. Your your feet are both doing different things. Um, and you are more a part of the, the road. You smell things. You you experience things a lot differently on a motorcycle, which is, is just so fascinating. And, and the the, the attentiveness that, that it requires um, is, is different than when you're driving in a car. So speed, I, I think, is an issue. But I mean, it can be in cars as well. I think there's always a tendency with whatever your your hobbies or interests are that they can take over. Um, I know guys, <laughs> the the guy I bought my um my project bike off of has over 500 motorcycles. Oh wow! Yeah, and they're I mean, I I don't even know if he rides one of them. So, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. And half of them he doesn't know where they are. So this is hoarder mentality. Mm. Um, which I mean, it doesn't strike everybody, but there it does. It makes you aware that there there are these yes idolatries. It can it, you know a hobby can take over your your life and your um, attention and those sorts of things. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. This is purely a speculative 
imaginative question. In the new creation, uh, it seems like there's some continuity of human culture, that the kings of the earth bring the glory and honor of the nations into the new Jerusalem, that, that the good things that human culture has produced is a part of our eternal eternity with God. But also, it says that the all the bad stuff uh, is removed. So if you had to imagine what motorcycles, motorcycle clubs, riding motorcycles looks like in the new heavens, new, new earth, like fully renewed and restored, all the broken stuff uh, removed, but the goodness preserved and amplified, what, what do you think that looks like? Well, I, I think, you know, we see glimmers of the kingdom here on earth. Um, I think they'll be glorified uh, on the new creation. So I, I do see a, a, a massive amount of just talent and commitment to excellence um, in a craftsmanship, um, in building and customizing motorcycles. Um, I think the, the, the beauty and the, the craftsmanship will still be there. I mean, it is hard to imagine what the new creation is going to be like. I mean, can't imagine we're going to have a, a new creation without motorcycles, but no emissions, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. no, no crashes. <laughs> and that kind of community, which, which I've had a taste of and, and enjoyed so much will, um, just be uh, multiplied um, exponentially. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, I look forward to that. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to jump on a motorcycle with you in that day and Jesus and not fall asleep while I'm riding it. (laughs) But thanks again for taking the time to talk to us about motorcycles and the kingdom of God. And uh, again, we just appreciate you a ton. My pleasure, Jim. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much. Well, that was another good one. Again, Dave Beldman working on his motorcycle. I, I'll just dive in. I, I think one of the things that stood out to me, one of the things that I would you know not want to forget if my memory were wiped out, is just how different the way Jesus behaves is than I and my intellect can, can figure out what he was intending. And the example of Jesus healing on the Sabbath in the midst of religious leaders who had put these legalistic definitions of what Sabbath looks like and, and needs to look like and was holding people to account on these these rituals. But then he comes in and, and heals and does things that are just infuriating to the the religious leaders of the time. I, I feel like that's just, it's helpful for me to think about that. It just challenges me. I, even last week we were talking about Sabbath and I said, you know, normally I, I want things to be open on Sundays, but maybe it was better when they weren't. But then even that, now that I'm thinking about Dave's words and Jesus's behavior on the Sabbath day, it's not so simple. For me, I find that it doesn't really in some ways matter what I'm doing. I can be doing things that look like I'm resting, but I can be working awfully hard in my head to try to convince myself that I'm of value. That's for me what work often looks like. And I've said it before, but I just love how Tim Keller has often said it's the work that's going on underneath the work. Um, And for me, that's this energy that I put into just a self-justification, making myself worth something through my own efforts, which to die to that and to rest on what Jesus has done on my behalf, his work on the cross, that is the real rest that I need to create space in my life to have every week. So you're saying essentially since Jesus healed on the Sabbath, he can heal a motorcycle, restore a motorcycle yeah, I, on the Sabbath. Yeah, that's a really good, yeah, that's a good, that's exactly what I was saying. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's good, man. Yeah, you know, I, I love this podcast, this episode so much. My grandfather, um, Victor, immigrated to the U.S. Uh, with my mom when she was a little girl. And he's from Honduras and kind of as a kid watched John Wayne movies. And mm. so since I've known him, he's been this 
you know, very um, rugged Hispanic man, but with a huge obsession with like West, like the West, by Western culture, I mean like cowboys. So he's like, I've only known him to wear cowboy boots my whole life. And since he couldn't ride a horse, like the motorcycle is the next best thing. Mm. So he was, ca- you know, cowboy boots, motorcycle. You know, got to go on uh, many motorcycle rides with him. So just even listening to him, it brought back so many memories of my grandfather, who has been one of the most influential people in my life in teaching me how to, you know, love play, love children, and also be a hard worker. And he's not a Christ follower and has probably impacted my work ethic and my leadership style and my even just enjoyment of nature more than anybody else in my childhood. And so it was just fun to listen to David Beldman talk about just to hear his delight Hmm. of motorcycles and to really appreciate that. So I don't know if there's one particular thing that stands out to me, but I just really enjoyed, you know, actually the thing that stood out to me the most was when he talked about being a part of a community. Hmm. Like if you have a motorcycle, you're just initiated into this community, no matter what differences, no matter what background, no matter where you're from, you're just automatically part of this community. And um, there's another pastor in town as like a chaplain, kind of like an unofficial chaplain for a Harley Davidson club. And I actually think he's he's just had a long history of, of being a part of these clubs and he tells all these stories. And it's just been really beautiful to see such rich community around something like motorcycles. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me wonder, and there's so many obviously analogies to the church. How are we fully committed to a brother or sister in Christ for no other reason than they're a brother or sister in Christ? Yeah, it stood out to me that his Sabbath is a fully embodied Sabbath. His act of ceasing is ceasing from the academic work that he's doing all week and engages in what looks like work to most of the world throughout history uh, of physical, manual labor. But to for him, he needs to stop the writing, stop the teaching, close his mouth, and put his hands on a motorcycle and start fixing some stuff. And I think that's important. I think it's important for us who are doing a lot of knowledge work, sit behind a computer a lot of the time, to have our rest be a little more physically embodied. Part of what that's looked like for me is every morning I've been going out and playing basketball and praying. Part of my prayer rhythm now. Uh, What does it look like for you to have a physically embodied time of rest where you're engaging your body in with God's world? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, as I was listening to him, I was wondering, because I'm not a handy person. I'm not very mechanical. I'm not good with many hand-type things. But I have often said, when, when I sit with other parents who talk about how draining children are, kids really do feel like a lot of fun to me. And mm. I, I, they are very much rest for me. I could be... Yeah. I mean, it, it is not work, even in the most annoying, whiny moments. And I, and as I was listening to David talk, I think a lot of that is the physical nature. It's the building forts and reading books inside of the forts. And like, it's like that you're just your physical... Little kids, you're not sitting calmly and like thinking in your head. You're engaged full body with these kids. Mm. And I think that's what's so fun about having children. So that's probably been the main, uh, probably three or four years ago, I someone challenged me to think more about play hmm. and how much it's part of my life, which it's it's not very much a big part of my life. I tend to try to maximize every moment to be very purposeful and intense. And so I struggled for weeks, like, what? I don't really, there's not much that's enjoyable. To see. Maybe I go for a hike, I don't know. Um, and I began to realize, actually, it's just being very present with my kids. If they want to dance, I'll dance. If they want to read books, I'll read books. And letting that be an invitation to rest no matter what I'm doing um, is actually a very physical way for me to engage at least. Yeah, that's good. 
Yeah, I my, my work has typically been kind of knowledge work for most of my adult life. Uh, but I found owning a home and working in the yard uh, has been the kind of thing that really, you know, getting dirt under my fingernails, digging a hole, moving a plant around. We've got chickens, so I, I don't I don't get get too hands on with the chickens, but like repairing the chicken coop or something like that. Uh, I, I found there's just something very uh, refreshing about that kind of work um, that does you know exhaust me in a in a different way that I like to experience. Yeah. Um, that does engage all of my senses and, and the restfulness. I have these like imaginative scenarios where I have a chicken coop and I keep buying garden equipment and I keep trying to plant gardens and they keep dying within yeah. two weeks. But well, it sounds really beautiful. <laughs> like I have like in my mind where the chicken coop would go in our backyard. It's easier than it's, you it's, think, it's a beautiful. Actually. Yeah, it does not. It, it, it does sound wonderful, but complicated. Owning chickens is a little easier than growing a garden. Is it? It is. However, when the chicken dies, it's a little more consequential than the <laughs> tomato plant dies. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Why is that? Why is one life but more you valuable know, than Oh, that? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think part of it is even, like, I can't – I need someone to show up and, like, walk me through my backyard. If someone could physically teach me how to do it, I think I could figure it out. But, like, somehow reading about how to keep a garden alive does not seem to actually help me keep a garden alive. Th- that's so true. I need a person who knows what they're doing to show up and help me well, I think that's figure out how not to kill chickens or tomatoes. That's right on. So I- I'm going to help you. Find me someone. But also – But your garden doesn't look very good either. What? Oh, geez. Well, when I Here saw it last. <laughs> when, did, when did you see it last? I don't know. They were all dead, though. No, I hadn't planted my garden yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. You so, have a great uh, garden. Jim. The Faith Work Rest crew is uh, available to come over and help you with your backyard anytime you need it. <laughs> but apparently not very effectively. <laughs> right. We'll be there. We'll get tired doing it, but yeah. it won't look any better than it did before we started. No, I remember what it was now. I was dropping off a meal and yeah. you gave me your address and I went to the same address as Street Over and it was a landscaper's house and the whole front yard was dirt with dead plants everywhere. Yeah, and that was and not my house. And it was like the house. actual, you're right, I know, but that, in my memory it was, so yeah. you're right. Your garden was actually beautiful. Sorry, I retract my statement. When Danae tells you she remembers something, make sure you challenge her on it. <laughs> Give her a couple seconds to, to she, relocate. She, she's judging me by the front yard of neighbor. a neighbor. <laughs> she's like, you certainly cannot act- be good at gardening if you have neighbors who don't know how to garden. What so, else are your neighbors bad at? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, uh that's all we have for today. We appreciate you listening. <laughs> Next week, we probably won't have great gardening advice, but we will have another really good discussion. We want to encourage you again, if you want to get some one-on-one coaching, some advice on Sabbath, maybe not so much on gardening, but on Sabbath, check us out at faithworkrest.com. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Imagine that Aleppo was vacation cool, and Northern prison buildings were vocation schools. Imagine that we sip the finest water that exists And it ain't from Poland Spring, not it's more like Poland Flint Imagine politicians with the different views All coming together every night, the news Reports on the beauty of creation, not the mess Get called some IRS just to need to hire bless The pain from autism all replaced by more wisdom The lame hit the dance floor, moving on rhythm And no stores closed, no we're cutting more ribbons And all them strip clubs become museums just for women